I'm going to teach tonight on this subject, narrative and normative. Narrative and normative. So, um, I'm going to do my best to explain these two very important concepts in the Bible and then how we study the Bible and see it. Let's look tonight at 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. Here we go. Are you ready? This is the reiteration from Paul about what Jesus said to the disciples in a rented room during Passover. So he is reiterating something. He was not there, but the Lord showed him this particular um, event. And so some of you have Bibles with red letters. You'll notice that this is red letters. These are exactly what Jesus said. Now, this is borne out in other portions of Scripture, but let's read from 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three. For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke and said, Take, eat. Here is what the Lord said. This is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as often as ye drink it in remembrance of me. Now notice the next line. For as often, everyone say often. For as often as ye eat this bread, routinely, and drink this cup, routinely, you do, you do show the Lord's death till he come. Okay. So I'm going to give a couple of definitions for these two words because they're important for us. And I'll open this up to your understanding, Lord willing. Narrative. Narrative. Narrative can be described as scriptural references, Bible events, historical moments, or directives for specific moments. I'll do that again. Scriptural references, a narrative. Like the whole Bible could be a narrative. It's a, it's a book of, of many declarations, narrative. Biblical events, the whole Bible is a book of biblical events. Historical moments, there's history in it. Of course, there's also future in it. The Bible is not just a book of history, it's also a book of future. The book of Daniel and the book of Revelation has future. Matthew chapter 25 has future events to come. Things that have not yet happened. And then there's directives for specific moments. So that's narrative. Normative, or what's normal, or what the norm was, or what the norm is. Here it is. What is presented as normal, what is presented as established doctrines, practices, or directives for the body, for the church, for the saints. So normative would be what's normal, what could be considered normal. These two areas are critical in understanding. If you just leave them on the board for a while, we'll work on that. They're critically, it's critical in understanding the process of the body of Jesus Christ. Now here, pastor, for a moment. False concepts and misinterpreting, uh, misinterpretation of scriptures or ideas, which often become doctrines have been derived because something that should have been narrative was presented as normative. Narrative is never doctrinal. 
normative can be. So let's study what is the difference and maybe to better help us with a little bit of knowledge, let's talk about how this church can function. So just a note, when the body is out of control or out of function, I shouldn't say control, when the body is out of function, correct function, we distance ourselves from the intent of the scripture. When we don't understand the Bible, we actually understand the Bible. When we misinterpret the Bible, we understand the Bible less. Traditions form that may be unnecessary or unscriptural. And also we fail to delineate the difference between these two big subjects, narrative and normative. And when we do that, we lose the aspect of how the church should operate. I'll help you with this. Let's, 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 let's go to something that was prevalent when I was small, when I was little. Um, something that I'm sure today, right now today, in fact, during this pandemic, we probably, even if we had the custom, we probably wouldn't do it. It's called foot washing. Foot washing. Foot washing. Now, I can tell you a whole lot of stories about foot washing. Mostly I was grossed out. But dad and mom had foot washing. We always had foot washing at the church. The ladies uh, were upstairs. The men were downstairs. Uh, one of the men didn't have... He, he had lost his big toes. Um, and we didn't know that until he took his socks off. He wanted both feet washed. He would like his, his half of his leg washed from his knee down. Um, this is true. And then things would float in the water. It was really gross. And I, and I, but people, actually, there was a lot of humility uh, exercised in that. There was a lot of good moments there. Um, there was a lot of germs passed around. Some folks waited until foot washing to have them actually washed. Um, uh, if they didn't clean the water, they just passed the tubs around. You just went and sat. You maybe brought your own tub. Uh, you know, if you only took off one sock, it was, it was deemed, you, you know, no, I want to wash both of your feet. I, did, I just didn't, I didn't catch it, but we did it. I cried a lot. Uh, not always... Because I was feeling humble, I was crying. Uh, <laughs> We've done foot washing here. I will tell you that there's a moment when, when foot washing is in order. I will tell you that there are moments when foot washing is appropriate. But foot washing is narrative. It is not normative. And there's a difference between foot washing and communion. Though both of those things happen on that very night. The night in which the Lord was betrayed, there was both foot washing and there was communion. There was never a command in the Bible to wash feet. It was not even a custom in the early church past the, past the, the, the 100 year mark. And didn't even make its resurgence until some time in the 1800s as best we know. And then it more or less exploded in, in the early days of the 30s and 40s and started to trail off. But communion never did. Communion never trailed off because as often as you do this or routinely. Are you still with me now? So you've got a narrative and you've got a normative. It was not required to wash feet. The significance of that was humility before your brother. It was humility before your sister. 
And the reason for foot washing in those days was because the feet were dirty. And because there were roads that you shared with animals. And the animals, uh, sometimes you would, you would walk over uh, what they had left behind. If I could say it that way. And to be proper tonight, I would just say that the feet were the dirtiest part of the body. This is why John said, I'm not even worthy to get down and unlatch or, or latch his sandals. I'm below the dirtiest part of the Lord. Um, this was a, a, a sign of great humility. There are ways that we can, if I could say now, we're going to get to this in the end, metaphorically wash feet. It's humility before brothers. But the act of foot washing is not out of order. It's wonderful given the right circumstances and it can be a great blessing and a sign of humility before your brother or your sister. And some folks would ask me, well, pastor, why don't we do foot washing? Well, we have before, but the idea of foot washing should be a daily practice of humility between one another. Communion, however is a norm that took place in the Bible as often. But it does not mean that you have to do it every week. In fact, it could be, not always, could be that weekly communion might even lessen the impact of communion. Thus, the, there, are other, there are many other denominational churches that have communion every Sunday we reserve it for a few times in the year to remember the Lord's death until he come, but we never leave communion. So there are two things here. There are two different descriptions. Communion also has a bearing when we do it properly. In fact, Paul said many are sick among you when you do it unworthily. So there are, there are ties between illness and flagrancy. Um... Which leads us to believe that there is a health, physical health, when there is communion within the church. None of that was ever discussed in foot washing. So one is a description of what happened. And one is showing the Lord's death till he come. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show forth the Lord's death. So narrative could be actually related to the communion dinner. So, so... Tammy and I had the kids, we, we, last Easter, we, in Passover time, we did, we, we, we put together a table, our, our table, and we, we made all of the food that they would eat for, for Passover. There were some bitter things there, there were some, there were some, you know, boiled eggs, there were, there was cups, of course, we had grape juice in the cups, uh, some of the kids wanted to drink them all at one time. You have to wait. There's a process. We went through it. We described to them what this was. Now, we had never done that before. I don't know if we'll do it again. We might. But that would be a narrative. So just as the church body today, the Christian world, the Gentile world especially, does not, does not partake of a communion supper, we have to also understand that that's narrative. We may not always do an actual foot washing, but we are still taking communion. So you can see the difference there. I hope you can see the difference. There are some things that can be observed and, and maybe possibly help us, but we have to be careful before we dictate those things as necessary and critical. 
But the believer, in this particular example, should always remember the Lord's death, his blood, and his body. Now, the Bible says uh, that prayer was made without ceasing for certain of the disciples. Prayer was made without ceasing. Everyone say prayer. Everybody say prayer. But that, is, that, that could be narrative. Prayer was made without ceasing. That could be narrative. They, they, Peter was in prison. Prayer was made without ceasing. We could say that was narrative, except... Paul came along and said and, and wrote, pray without ceasing, which makes it a command or a directive. So now we know they, we can take the example of the church that prayed without ceasing because he was in jail. We could say that's narrative, except when we get over to, to, to Thessalonians, Paul said pray without ceasing, which means it's a directive for the church. It should be normal for the church to pray without ceasing. Jesus said this kind cometh not out but by prayer and fasting which means that prayer can garnish a collective group of answers but some things only come out only are answered with fasting combined with prayer which makes it a normative which makes it normal it's normal for the church to fast if you go to the old testament they put on sackcloth and ashes that's narrative (laughs) that's narrative That means that's a description. That's a reference, a biblical event. But fasting followed the Old Testament and the New Testament, and it's part of the body today. Sackcloth and ashes are not required. If you want to put on sackcloth and ashes, just make sure that you don't bring the ashes onto the carpet because we have to clean that up. However, there is a spirit that you can put on of, of groaning in the spirit of yearning, and that, that we take that now once again as a metaphoric way. Now, I'm, I'm teaching this because, well, first of all, it's, it's all my life in the, in, in the church. Where I've seen, time and time again, people create doctrines out of scriptures that were not, they were not normative. They were narrative and they created doctrine, extrapolated something. Said, well, that's how we have to do it because it's in the Bible. Yes, but how is it mentioned in the Bible? How is it submitted in the Bible? So, prayer is something that should be a normal activity. Prayer in our homes should be a normal activity. This is narrative. Because the Bible says they were with to house, at house to house and they were in the temple. But the scripture doesn't always tell us when to meet. Uh-oh. It doesn't say that we have to meet at 9 or 10 o'clock every Sunday morning. It could be at 10 o'clock on Sunday night. We get spoiled here in this, uh, in, in, in not only in our country, but probably even in the Midwest. There are people, ministers, that are trying to reach folks, and, and they can't even get a building. The only time they can get a building are, is, on, is on Saturday afternoon, sometimes on Friday. That is their Sunday. Now, there are other folks that would think that's sacrilegious, but they have no money. I mean, some of these places, it costs $2,000 to rent one bedroom. If you go to the San Fernando Valley or San Jose or, or if, you, if, you, if, you're, if you're in somewhere on the East Coast, some of those places are very difficult. You, you couldn't even get the square footage we have. It would cost hundreds of thousands of dollars um, to have monthly services. And so the only time that they can have meetings are, are on off days. There are places around the world 
that never meet on Sundays. They meet on different days. It didn't tell us what day to meet. Now, we believe that we want to honor God the first day of the week. But, but what is normative is Hebrews 10.25. Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. What's narrative is the first day of the week. Everybody okay? Now, people have made doctrines out of biblical events. Be careful. We want to stay in the word and rightly divide the word of truth. Singing, everyone, is normative because they sang. Even in the New Testament, they sang. Old Testament, they sang. And they came together and sang songs and hymns, spiritual songs. They, they sang together. But they didn't have to sing to start their worship service. They could do it at the end. Now, now narrative is the event is Joshua marching around the walls of Jericho and the musicians led them out. And then there was a shout and then there was the fight. So we could say that this is how we do it because, because that's what Joshua did. We cannot take that as normal activity. Otherwise, you have to kind of dissect it. Because before they shouted, they were quiet. And then they marched around. We don't do that. We don't do that. In fact, very few people are quiet for seven trips around whatever. And then there's a shout. That's appropriate. It, the worship is good that it comes before the word. Because it helps us to collect our mind. It ushers us in to a place where we can receive the word. But we could start with, with teaching or preaching like I've done right now. Now, there are... A group, there's a, there's a school of thought that says, oh no, you can never do that. You have to have worship. You have to have, otherwise people are not ready. Hold on a second. We should be entering this house with our hearts open and our minds clear. Instead, sometimes we make the worship teams, and I've been seeing this in all kinds of churches. It takes about, especially when I was growing up, it took many courses until finally we got, we broke through. Now we're ready. Now we're ready. Pray to God that the, that the, that the last trump doesn't, doesn't sound on the third course because you were going to get in on the fourth. That's right. And people would say, I'm so glad they sang it one more time. I was just waiting for the fifth time or the seventh time. I, I knew if they sang that verse one more time, I'd start shouting. What, what, what's wrong? Because we're so carnal, we got to have the music playing for, for a specific time. Or it's got to be stylistic. Some stylistic music or we don't like it really it should be that we worshiping god in our daily lives now i don't want to get too preachery here i just want to tell you when you when you get into that mode the problem is you're turning the narrative in a normative and saying this is how it always has to be no it doesn't no it doesn't we're just spoiled can i say that let me say it with a smile because a little bit of sugar helps the medicine go down can we sing that? We're just spoiled. We like things just like we like it. We want to have that. Nobody, why are you bringing the salad at the end? We want the salad at the start. We want the hors d'oeuvre. We want the appetizers. No. We have this idea that God has to move in a, in a specific way. I stand here to tell you that the Lord can move any way he wants to move. When we make the narrative the normative, we box God into a corner right let me just tell you 
Normative were, were things like baptisms, laying on of hands. These were the doctrines. They were commands of the apostles. But biblical examples of what they did are not always transferable to our day today. Just because you find it in the Bible doesn't mean that you need to do it in the church. We do not need to have alabaster boxes broken in the church to signify our love for God. Now, I, you might think that I'm way out there, but I'm drawing from many years of experience where these things have come into different churches and people have done these things and made them rituals and customs. This is the day where we all break our alabaster boxes. I loved, I always loved Palm Sunday. My dad used to go buy all kinds of palms and we'd have Palm Sunday and we would wave them back and forth. Of course, me and my buddies always hit each other with our palms while everyone, people were worshiping palms. It was wonderful. It was great. Sometimes we'd have these great worship services. And then, of course, everyone, someone would have to pick up all the broken palm leaves after church. And because we had Sunday night service, you know, and they didn't get all the palms and there would be, there'd be, there'd be, branches and leaves everywhere around the church but those were wonderful days and and probably this coming palm sunday i'm probably going to get a whole bunch of palms and we're just going to have a palm fight sunday or something like that i don't know maybe we'll worship with them it's wonderful i love it but that's only narrative that's not normative you don't have to have palms on palm sunday to worship god here are your palms and you can bring your palms every sunday This is the best palm you'll ever have. It never leaves you. You want to keep your palm. You can clean your palm. You can disinfect your palm. You can raise your palm. But if you're waiting for the actual branch, and you say, well, it's not Palm Sunday without a palm branch. Hold on a second. What you've done is, that's not normal. That might be a tradition or a custom. Yes. Upper rooms are not inherently more anointed than basements. No, they are not. Let me, let me just keep on going here. Helping the poor was common, but it wasn't a doctrine. We should help the poor. The Bible says help those in need. But kindness is not the same as teaching the gospel. We help the poor to open the door so we can teach the gospel. I, I don't want you to take this the wrong way. So if you don't listen to the whole statement, you're going to misquote me. What good is a filled stomach and an empty soul? It is good to fill their stomachs, but it's got to lead to something. Jesus wanted to call Peter to be a fisherman of men, a fisher of men. He wanted to call him. But before Jesus called him into the ministry, he first fulfilled his immediate physical need. He filled his boat with fish. And when Jesus filled his physical need, he was able to, that door opened up to call him into a spiritual calling. Amen. What should be normal is that we use the items we have that are helping people to open up the door to bring them to Jesus Christ, to introduce them to the Lord and let them understand the Lordship of Jesus Christ. That he is the Lord of all, Lord of Lords. He is the King of Kings. He is the Lord of all. He is their only Savior. This is critical. So you have to strike the balance. And we need to exercise even spiritual gifts in the church. They were normative. It was normal for there to be spiritual gifts in the church. The gift of prophecy doesn't have to be a gift of prophecy in the microphone. It could be one to one. 
tongues and interpretation should be normal in the church. These are normal, normative things. They are not narrative. Some people want to put them in narrative and say, that's just for them back there. That, that's just speaking in tongues is just for someone else. That's not true. This happened in the church and Paul admonished all of us to desire these spiritual gifts. Amen? Okay. I'll just say amen to myself every once in a while when I think it's appropriate. There are moments when Jesus used specific things to heal people. He spat on the ground and made mud balls. At one point, he just went up to a blind man and put his fingers in his eyes. That's narrative. That's not normative. How are we doing now? You, you, are you catching the, my drift here? You can, you can pray for someone. You do not have to put your fingers in their, in, in their eyes. If they're deaf, you don't have to put your fingers in their ears. I've heard of this where, where, where if you'll put, I've heard even this, if you'll pray and put your fingers in their ears, then they'll be healed. That is not normative, that's narrative. He can heal someone by you saying in Jesus' name. The, watch this, the placement of your fingers do not constitute the Lord's favor. Jesus said, if you'll ask anything in my name, it shall be done. If you bind it in heaven, I'll bind it in earth. If you bind it in earth, I'll bind it in heaven. Where two or three agree in my name, I'll be in the midst of them. We can use these things, and I'm not saying you shouldn't put your fingers in someone's ears. I'm not going to put my finger in someone's ears, but I'm, I'm going to hold their ears. I've seen that. I've seen someone put their hands over and, Jesus, and praying for that. That hearing come back, and I and I know that it has happened. Put their hand on their eyes. I know this come back, but this is a description of what the Bible has presented. It's not a command or a doctrine. Prayer and praise—they are directives. You don't have an option whether or not you should praise. You don't get to sit back and not praise. You have to praise. You're born to praise. If you, in fact, if you have breath, you must praise. If you have breath, you must praise. Let all the people say amen. So be it. If you walked in here, you ought to be praising God. You ought to be praising God. Because that's how you were made. You were made to praise. That's a directive. It's not a narrative. So when you see David praising, when you see David clapping... This is, this is Psalm 149 and Psalm 150. Go back and read both the last two Psalms of this, of this great book and you'll find directives of praise. Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. You may not have symbols, but you have breath, so praise the Lord. And when you get to the New Testament, you're going to find out that worship and praise is the way to be whole. Praise, the Bible says, is comely for the upright. That means it's beautiful. You look good when you praise. Amen. Both are non-negotiable aspects of the church. So I say to everyone who tells me that's not your personality to be exuberant, that is not true. You, you are in control of your faculties. I hope. <laughs> and you can get excited and emotional about whatever you are passionate about. I've, I've, I've met people who, who look shy until 
something happened, and then they got passionate. And I'm asking, they said, well, I just get heated up when that happens. You mean you can generate a demonstrative spirit? You, You can generate something just at your own will? You command your hands to clap. You command your feet to dance. You, If you can't get off the ground, you can bend your knees. You can bob your head. Okay. But there is no command to leap or to jump. That's narrative. You got to praise, but that doesn't mean you have to be jumping up and down. Well, Acts chapter 3. Lame man pulled up, Peter and John, silver and gold have none, such as we have, give I unto thee, name of Jesus Christ. Rise up and walk. And the Bible says the next scene, he was running and leaping in the temple. That tells me it's proper to jump, run, and leap in the sanctuary. It's proper, but it's not a command. (laughs) I would just say, if you got good knees, good hips, got a little help, then do it while you got the chance. Because there's going to come a day when you won't be able to do it. So don't begrudge the young people if they're jumping up and down all the time. Thank God they're spending their energy doing that. That's not a command. That's, that's narrative. That's not normative. Because sometimes the Spirit of God moves and we are on our face crying and praising God. And we're praising Him in tears. We're thankful or we're convicted. Right. So for those who say it shouldn't happen, I got a lot of scripture that said it should. And for those who think it has to happen, that doesn't mean you have a move of God just because everyone's jumping up and down. It does not mean it's a better church service because everyone's doing this. I can command my body to do it. I do with joy. And come Sunday when the music comes and I want to dance and shout and jump. We've had, we've had services in here where we were singing a hymn and people were dancing around the front. They weren't dancing to the beat of the music. They were dancing to the subject matter and the realization that they were saved by the blood of Jesus. And Calvary saved them. Yes. Okay, here's your scripture. How about let's talk about oil. And I love the oil. I love the scriptures about oil. James 5, 14. Is there any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let's just pause right here and say it. If you're ill, call. Do not post it on a site I'm not on. And then wonder why pastor hasn't called you. I don't have Instagram. It'd be easier for you to send a telegram. You can probably get me by telegram faster than you can get me by Instagram. Not only do I not know how to navigate my smart, my smarter than me phone. If you're going to post it somewhere and then does someone, I got to be relevant. People get upset because no one is praying for them, even though they posted it while it was on Facebook. I don't have Facebook, and I know some of you live and die by it because you put the phone and the computers by your bed. It dings all night. This is, this is a routine. You call for prayer. I'm just going to direct you tonight because this is very important to me. I want to be right as a pastor. I want to do right in my position. I want to serve you the way that I'm supposed to serve you to the best of my ability and sometimes to your expectation. If you need me to come to your home, tell me, Pastor, I need you right now. I'm on death's door. 
If you call me and say, Pastor, would you pray for me? Or I'm in the hospital or someone's in the hospital. All the administrators are telling me, the hospital administrators are telling me, don't come here. You don't need to be here. In fact, I was told not to go to the ER rooms. But some of the saints may want me to be there. And I'm trying to navigate this. But even when we're not in COVID, tell me what you expect. I'll tell you whether or not I can be there. Don't be angry with me if I can't fulfill all the expectation. Is that okay? I want to serve you. I'll do whatever I can. I'm not, I'm, I'm not afraid of the virus, but I wear, I've got my mask here. I carry it around. Sometimes I put it over my eyes. I see no evil. <laughs> Sometimes I put it over my mouth. I don't want to spread anything. I might even look a little bit better with my mask on. I don't know. Um, but let's talk about it. If you're sick, don't assume. If you're ill, don't assume. Call for the elders. Brother Hudiger, Brother Gordon, Brother Hammond. Wave your hand, Brother Hammond. There you go. Look, Brother Hammond, he'll pray for you. And if he can't touch God, he'll go home and tell his wife, she always is with the Lord. She, her and Jesus have a great relationship. So if he don't work, his wife will. Pray, call for the elders. Don't assume. Because if you assume, then you'll be upset. Why didn't they pray? The church doesn't care. That's not true. I care about your life. I care. I care about you. I don't want you to be in pain in any way. Call for the elder of the church and let them pray over him. Anoint him with oil. Uh-oh, here we go. Anoint with oil in the name of the Lord. There are moments when there's no oil. So within one verse, we have, we have, we have a normative and we have, we have a little balance here. We have a narrative because if we have oil, we'll anoint you with oil. But if I'm somewhere where I, someone says, will you pray for me? And I don't have oil. I'm just, I'm not going to say, well, let me go to the store. I'll come back. I'm going to lay hands on them and pray for them. Because Peter said, let's go on the laying on of hands. Let's go on to another, let's go on to perfection. Not, not establishing again the doctrines of laying on of hands. There was a doctrine of laying on of hands. In this time of COVID, you may not want someone to touch your head, but it's okay if they touch your shoulder. We got to get back to this and not remove it from our church because we're full of fear. Now, I've always said this to people. You don't have to take your head. This is, this is something that happened is tradition and jerk someone's head back as far as they can for them to receive the Holy Ghost or for them to be healed. More people have had neck problems leaving the altar than when they came. Why? Because people were exuberant and they prayed and they got excited for the person they're praying for and really they detracted for them. Some people don't want you to touch them. Not because they don't love you, but because you're breaking their concentration. And other people love for you to touch them. That's why they came down here. <laughs> but when the oil is not available and the physical presence is not available, now what do we do? Okay. So now we're going to talk about available and allowances. They don't negate the norm. But they don't have to be the norm. We, we made 1,000 prayer cloths, anointing them with oil. We stamped the scripture 
Acts 19 on them. We put New Life Fellowship. We're praying for you. We, we've done this so many times. One day, I think we were in the other building. No, we might have been here. We've done it several times. We did it here, Brother Russell. And we sent them out to everybody. People were taking them by the dozens and, and praying over them and giving them to family members. Acts 19.11. God wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul. So here we go. He laid hands on people and they were healed. Verse 12. So that from his body were brought unto the sick handkerchiefs or aprons and the diseases departed from them. Evil spirits went out of them. Now, verse 12 is narrative. It's not normative. We don't have to have stamped anointed claws for people to be healed. But when I couldn't, when Paul, let's just say about Paul, when Paul couldn't get to people, he took some of his clothes. It probably wasn't a nice piece of clothes like a cloth like we did. It didn't have a stamp on it. He just sent it out. In fact, there was no reference that he anointed that. He just sent a piece of his clothes out. And they, and the faith, look, it was not possible for him to reach the people. The cloth was not holy. It was a tool for a moment. It was not demanded. It was not normative. It was narrative. It was the faith in Jesus Christ and the belief that this is going to be a tool and someone's going to be healed. And there have been times we've anointed a cloth and give it to somebody. And they've been in hospital beds. And we said, and they said, pastor's not here. The elders are not here. My dad's not here. My, my aunt's not here. She wanted to pray for you, but she prayed for this. My mother has done this before. Sent a cloth, anointed the oil. They put it, they, 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 they put a little safety pin on their, on their, on their hospital gown. And they prayed and they just said, Lord, heal that person. And something happened in the night and that person was healed and was delivered. It wasn't just the intrinsic evil of the cloth. It was faith in Jesus Christ because no one could get beside their bed. But we were praying, Lord, let there be a transfer of power. You be in this physical item. And people can be healed. But it's not a demand and we don't have to have prayer claws every time someone is somewhere. You can go and anoint them with oil and pray for them. You don't have to give them a prayer cloth. But if you can't get there or if you believe this is a good thing, that's fine. Just know what the scripture is saying. Don't make a doctrine out of prayer claws. How are we doing? Narrative and normative. Narrative and normative. It's the Lord that heals, not the prayer cloth. It's the Lord that heals, not your hands. It's the Lord that remits your sin, not somebody else. It's the Lord that saved you, no one else. No one died for you on the cross. And even if someone did die for you, they're not going to rise from the dead. Only Jesus did that. He's the only Savior. In fact, he's the one who made the propitiation for your sins. He is the man between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Nobody like Jesus. There ain't nobody like Jesus. Even where I'm standing right now, I am a temporary manager of the commonwealth of the house of God. That's all I am. And when the Lord's ready to take me home, he'll have somebody else in this microphone preaching the anointed word of God. Because he anointed it. He, he sanctified it. This is him. I don't give it credibility. It has its own credibility and integrity. Yes, right. All right. How are we doing? Are we okay? Praise God. Three people. So just as one scripture doesn't constitute an entire doctrine, so to one reference, scripture reference, does not dictate what the norm should be. Let me give you an example. Paul said this at the, at, at the end of his journeys. He said, 2 Timothy 4.8, Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. Who wants that? Who wants a crown of righteousness? Come on, just lift your hand. 
at home just say, yes, I want a crown of righteousness. Which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me in that day. And not to me only, careful now, but to, unto all them that love his appearing. This verse does not dilute or change the necessity of repentance or baptisms. But there is a school of thought, former Pentecostals that have used this scripture to nullify the death, the burial, the resurrection played out of our life. They said, they say today, all you have to do is love his appearing and you'll be saved. You see. So what's happened is, they've nullified John 3, Luke 24, 1 Corinthians 15, and I'm going to go over, next week we start this wonderful tabletop. They've nullified all of this. They've completely removed the example of the tabernacle plan, which is the death, burial, resurrection. I'll show you that. By just using a scripture to proclaim the salvation of everybody, all you have to do is love his appearing. The Bible is not in contradiction with each other. Obviously, Paul did not go back and change his entire doctrine to establish this. However, I know some teachers who rely solely on this verse to indicate salvation. So I, I, I've got to be careful how I go through this, but, but let me just help you a little bit. There's another term, prescribed text and described text. To describe it, to prescribe it, or to describe it. So let me just give you an example of prescribed text. Matthew 19. So this ruler came, he's wealthy. He says to Jesus, good master, what do I need to do to have eternal life? Verse 17. Of course, the Lord says, why are you calling me good? There's none but one, that's God. The only one that's good is God. But if thou will enter into life, keep the commandments. That was a requirement then and now. Then and now. Because the, the commandments are the moral code of the world. He saith unto him, which, Jesus said, he said, well, which, which one do you want me to keep? Jesus said, don't murder, don't commit adultery, do not steal, don't bear false witness, honor thy father and mother, love thy neighbor. I've done it all. So that is a prescribed scripture. That should be the norm in our life. But let me talk to you about a different concept. We'll use the example of kneeling, to kneel, K-N-E-E-L. That's described or to describe a scripture or describe an event. Psalm 95, 6. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. You can kneel, but you don't have to kneel. That was what David was talking about when he was talking about corporate worship. Worship, bow down, kneel. Yes, I think it's good to kneel. I think we all should kneel. But there are some people in this church that have had knee, knee replacements and they cannot kneel. They could, but then they wouldn't be able to get back up. Acts chapter 2, verse 2. Sometimes we think that people need to kneel or stand to receive the Holy Ghost. And people have made doctrines out of how to receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Here's what you have to do. You have to lift your hands like this. You have to close your eyes. You have to grit real hard your teeth. Or you have to go back and forth. Or you have to be on your knees and then you can get it. That's not how they received it in the first time. In fact, look at Acts 2, 2. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind and filled all the house where they were sitting. The first time they received the Holy Ghost, they were sitting down. So my point here is that this was not a normative. It was a narrative. 
The norm should be to be the norm should be morality to follow the commandments of the Lord. The biblical event that showed us you can be kneeling, standing, sitting, you can be anywhere and receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. You don't even have to be at this altar. You could be at home. You could be, you can be in your bedroom. Many people have received the Holy Ghost in different places. You can, you can receive your healing. You don't have to have anyone around you to receive your healing. It's good if you're sick, let them call for the elders of the church, pray for them. However, Jesus can heal you and have healed many people when they were just praying in their own garden or walking around their house. All right. The problem we, we have is that we, we see these things happen and, 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 and there was a point, I can't remember, Brother Huddiger, there was a few folks in a row that where you went, you went to the hospital, you prayed for them and they were healed and I made a joke and I said, well, if you want to be healed, call Brother Huddiger. He will help you. He will, he will pray for you and you'll be healed. It was just a little joke. I don't know if you got a bunch more calls, but, but I still would say call Brother Huddiger because he'll, he'll pray for you. But, Jesus is the one that heals. <laughs> Come on, let's get back to Jesus. This is Christocentric. This is the Lord as the center of everything. Not me, not you, not some personality, not a man. This is Jesus. He is at the center of everything. And when I, when I tell you it's all about Jesus, I'm going to tell you it's all about Jesus. And if he chooses to use me, praise God, I want to be a conduit and not filled with a bunch of junk so that whatever he's talking, it can go right through me to you. And when you're, you're talking, I want it to go right through you to me. Amen. Let me just, I'm, I'm hitting a bunch of points. I just, there's so much. A few years ago, there was thousands and hundreds of thousands of book, books sold called The Prayer of Jabez. I read it, I had it, I loved it. I wanted it for my life. It's a short story about Jabez. He prays a prayer, Lord, enlarge my territory. What a phenomenal prayer. It records the prayer, but it does not tell us that we should pray the prayer. It grants, God grants the request of Jabez. And, 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 God's approval was upon the prayer, and it's wonderful. But that is a narrative. That, that is not something that we have to do every day. Sometimes we should pray, not my will but thine be done. That's called the prayer of Gethsemane. That book doesn't sell as well. That's retraction, not expansion. That's minimization, not growth. That's crucifixion. That's blood, sweat, and tears. That's not gain. Okay. In fact, I can make a better case for praying in a garden with Jesus alone than I can praying the prayer of Jabez. But either way, both of them are narratives. Because when I get up in the morning, I'm going to pray, Lord, bless my children. I'm going to pray, Lord, bless this home. I'm going to pray, Lord, bless the church. That's my normal prayer. But there have been times I prayed over people's lives. Lord, I pray a hedge of thorns around them. That's a mean pastor right there. What are you talking about, Pastor? I've, been, I've prayed a hedge of thorns around people because I didn't want them to find any pleasure in what they were doing. Paul even turned, Paul said he turned them over to Satan for the destruction of their flesh. Because it would be better for you to suffer destruction of your flesh and go to heaven than for you to enjoy the pleasures of life and go to hell. All right. 
I think everybody's got it. We're, we're almost done. And, I'm, and I, Lord knows, the Bible is filled with all kinds of examples. Some are literal, some are figurative. And we're going to have to be careful how we understand it. When we, when we reference the arm of the Lord, we're not talking about a literal arm of the Lord. When we talk about the eyes of the Lord, I'm going to talk about this in our, in our upcoming lessons. I just want to point a few things out. Um, there's a couple of different examples. Some figurative language is called a simile. It uses a, a, a similar words like as or like or likened to. Matthew 10, wise as serpents, a harmless as a dove. That's a simile. The Bible uses metaphors. Um, they're very similar to the simile, but without the as or, or, or the like. The dawn of a new day. Um, the leaven of the Pharisees. That, that means hypocrisy. Um, there's idioms that the Bible uses. Their hearts melted. Um, and these are expressions. So these metaphors, similes. Um, there's, there is a, there's, there's something that, that I'm going to introduce to you later, but we're going to go through it kind of quick. But so I'll give the word to you tonight and then you can use it in your, when you're playing Scrabble. It's called anthropomorphisms. And that is a, that a, it's a physical body part to relate to God. The arm of the Lord's anthropomorphism. The arm of the Lord. To whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Well, what are you talking about? The right hand of God means it's not, it's not a physical thing. It's not an arm. It's a position of power. So when you, whenever you read the right hand of God, that means authority. That is, that is not literal. That's figurative. That's figurative. If you're sitting on, on the right hand of God, that means you're in the position. When you read that, that God walk with them in the cool of the day, that, that is the same figurative option that is the spirit of god that was with them not walking like a man it's it's a it is a it's a simile it's a metaphor uh, anthropomorphism this these are figurative concepts that help us to relate to god uh, the lord even uses uh, or the bible even uses sarcasm can you believe it irony and sarcasm can you believe it it's in the bible and i always loved this when i was young because i could show my mother this is scriptural what i'm saying to you if I use sarcasm, it's scriptural. Here's the irony. You have already become rich. You have become kings without us. That's 1 Corinthians 4.8. Sarcasm. How the king of Israel distinguished himself today. Sarcasm. That was, that was David's wife, uh, Michael. She was very sarcastic. And so I love to tell mom, this was just, my attitude was scriptural. She didn't buy that. There's all these things we have to understand in the scripture and we have to understand where they fit in the, in the biblical event and where they fit in the normal event. And what we're trying to do at New Life is stay in the normative area of life, of worship. What's normal for the church? What was the command? What's the doctrine of laying on of hands, of giving, of, of the spiritual gifts, of, of baptisms? Even Peter said, we believe in the resurrection from the dead. That was the norm. We believe that God can raise people from the dead. Miracles were the norm. We got to get back to the norm. But we cannot take all the Bible and say, well, we got to apply that. We got to do that tonight. Hold on a second. Where does it land in the scripture? Amen. Okay. Okay, so there's a quiz now. 
we're going to, we're passing out a, a quiz and, and there's a hundred questions. I would like for you to just take this moment and go back to the podcast sometime the next week and listen to this again so that you can pick out and realize what is a biblical event and what is a command or directive from God. Because we want to rest on the directives of God and we want to give allowances for occurrences that may not be directives. So if we pray for someone or want to send a prayer cloth to someone, we're going to do that knowing that God is going to honor our faith. But we're not going to make it a doctrine. All right? So if you know someone, and, and I don't know, Brother Wright, so we might do this. We might, we might get another thousand of those and anoint the one, pray over them, fast over them, and send them out to the city like we've done before. And we're going to pray that God will use them for his glory. But we're going to know that that, is, that may be periodic or it may be every other year or it may be once every 10 years. I do not know. But we're never going to give up communion. We're always going to have communion here. Because that is a directive as often as we do it. Everybody got it? When you go to 1 Corinthians and you want to know about, about how a lady and a, and a man differ, find out what, what Paul said. This is what we do in all of our churches. That was normal. This is just normal teaching. Um, a man usually has uh, a, no hair or a little bit of hair. Women have long hair. And so when you start to figure out about women and hair and men and hair... You just go to 1 Corinthians and find out that was, that was normative. That's not narrative. That was normative. All the churches practice the same way. Just even today in distinction of men and women, there is normative ways that women look and men look. And the problem with, with what's happening in our, in our very corrupt secular world is that those things are being blended so that men are, 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 are appearing more like women and women are appearing more like men. This is not right. This is not good. I want my daughter to look different than my son. I, I'm not, this is not I'm, not, I'm not arguing with anybody. I'm just letting you know how we do it at our house. The boys are boys and the girl is the girl. And we're going to leave it like that. And I, I, I can't even believe I'm, I'm, I'm even kind of tiptoeing around that here tonight. But it's such a weird time in life. You, you, if I say femininity should be reserved for a, for a man, I mean a woman, and not a man, that should be the norm. This should be the norm. And, and we should not have to apologize. God made man and male and female. That's how he made them. I don't care what... Listen, I don't care what university says what. This is the norm. This is, and this is how we do it. And this is because this is the way the Bible said to do it.